This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for a new Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Live's Red Sox show. We had two great guests on last week, and Andrew Bailey and Zach Scott at the end of the week. If you missed those episodes, check them out on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to us regularly. Today, it's just Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam, co-host. Uh, we're going to be talking about, as I often say, what has happened in recent days in the Red Sox, world of the Red Sox, which, guess what, is not much, but... We've still been busy. We still find stuff to write about on the site, stuff to talk about on the podcast, and to share with you, the good people on our Insider Text program. Absolutely, Chris. And people have seen that as a member of the Insider Text program or club, uh, you get the opportunity to supply some questions on this podcast periodically. And you get the chance to text back and forth with me, with Chris, with Chris Smith, and to do that, all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257 um, and then click on the link to subscribe. It comes with a free 14-day trial period. And after that, it's a mere $4.99 a month, a pittance, I say, to pay for the privilege. Now, that sounds a little too uppity. We don't want to have that. But to be part of our circle and keep up to date on all Red Sox news in, out, pre, post, during the season. And I think this week will be actually a good time for people to subscribe because we will not be sitting in our respective places of living this week. We're actually going to, you know, baseball writers dream to leave the house in January. Red Sox have their rookie development program this week. We'll have that covered from Fenway on Wednesday, tomorrow, and then winter weekend in Springfield later in the week and that's where we're going to start on this edition of the Fenway Rundown the winter weekend Red Sox fan festival at the MGM Springfield in the shadow of Mass Live headquarters there in western Massachusetts which uh, some would say is uh, the Mecca that's what we think Um, I would one of our many headquarters we should point out right but you know that's the OG one so uh, I think we got to give obviously and I I don't know if you've been asked this since joining in May but people think it's very easy for me to commute to this winter weekend at MGM Springfield. But because I work for Mass Live, of course, I live in Springfield. Um, according to many people who approach me, that's not true at all. Them, but them's the rules. Yeah, there, there is a residency requirement to join Mass Live. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, well, it must be a tough, tough uh, to get to Boston every day, considering you have to live in Springfield. I've been to the Springfield. You don't drive. Right. But we're, you know, foot's on the mend. Who knows? 2024 is my year. Um, We don't live in Springfield. We just have to visit that office occasionally. And the Red Sox visit it once a year for winter weekend. Um, I find winter weekend to be a um, an interesting event every year. There's always a barometer. Yes. uh, There's always a memorable moment. Last week uh, or last year, I think, made headlines more than any winter weekend in the past and not for good reason. I was not there. I was in New Orleans on a bachelor party. I remember being at a restaurant called The Gumbo Shop. Ironic because of my shellfish allergy. I think I was just drinking 
let's say water on this bachelor party and watching the uh what was going on in springfield and i remember being on my phone and thinking oh my god they are really 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 booing them loudly and oh my god this cannot possibly get worse and uh you know like from afar thinking it would have been uncomfortable to be in that room on that friday night and so for those who forgot have forgotten somehow Red Sox management leadership was booed very loudly last year during the town hall event, winter weekend, night one. This year, in something that they're going to try to explain away as a coincidence, and there is no way that there is, they are not doing a town hall. It's instead going to be a talk show with Jonathan Papelbon, whatever the hell that means. Um, If I were the Red Sox, I'd be more worried about what could happen with that (laughs) than putting ownership out there to take questions from fans. Have they spent five minutes with Jonathan Papelbon? And now Jonathan Papelbon with a slideshow PowerPoint on his thoughts on Alex Verdugo. Papelbon uncensored. What could go wrong? Yeah. So um, he might need to be tranquilized before he goes out there. Regardless, Red Sox ownership, leadership, does not appear to be going out there and they seem to be wanting to limit fan interactions. It's no secret why. If you see Twitter, if you see the insider text program, if you see some of the emails that we get, again, some people are blaming us for not making the moves, but it's not our job. People are fed up. We've talked about that on the pod in the past. As I said, Sean, I, I characterize this as the least surprising development in Red Sox history that they are not doing this town hall event. They've done this town hall event in various forms. I can remember. I don't know if you were there covering it. Uh, I like to age you sometimes on here by reminding you of where I was at certain Red Sox events as a child and as a fan that you were covering in year 20 of your career. The Red Sox had a town hall in 2012 at Worcester Technical High School with Bobby V. I don't know if you were there. I remember my dad I was. T- taking me I was. As, a mi- as a middle schooler. So maybe maybe I said hello. Um so this dates back like 10 years, these types of formats, these types of events, and it's been at Winter Weekend the last few. And they would rather do anything except do it this year, and I don't think that's a surprise at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of high-level marketing and PR input into how to handle this the year after the great booing in Springfield a year ago. Um, if... I were advising them, and they almost never ask for my advice when it comes to public relations. You mean, I would think you mean never, never, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, I would think that somebody would have told them, do it and stand up there and take your medicine. That'll show that you're accountable. Yes, people are going to be angry and frustrated. You may have some uncomfortable questions put to you. There may be, excuse me. Uh, some discomfort in the room. Some people will be uneasy, but I think that they would have respected that uh, accessibility and availability and that whatever took place, whatever uncomfortable question got asked, whatever booing came from the audience would be nothing in comparison to what they're going to hear about not being able to speak to representatives of the team, that they are ducking their fan base, that they are afraid to face the fans. All of that, in my mind, is far worse than whatever might get asked or whatever reaction might be elicited from the crowd. But as I said, they never ask for my advice. I'm I'm saying that just from as a detached observer, I bet if we 
spoke to 10 PR experts, they would all agree with me and say, go out there, take your medicine, endure whatever you're going to, and people will at least respect you for that. The fact that they are ducking and hiding is a really bad look on an already bad-looking offseason. You're a level-headed guy outside of when you have to deal with drivers in Fort Myers during the time we're down there, I would say. You usually have good takes on here. That one, while I agree, is just rooted in fantasy land because of how they operate. And that's not on you. But just think about, like, how would that – that theory would not even be brought up in the culture John Henry has created in terms of – Well, maybe. But I'm saying if you if you brought in an outside PR yeah, okay. right. firm I agree with and that. said, how do we handle – you know, let's say this thing is being held on Dece- – you're having a meeting with ownership and upper management on December 1st. Hey, we got this thing coming up in six weeks. What do you suggest? I guarantee you that 10 out of 10 PR firms would be saying what I'm telling them. Now, the to the degree that that would be listened to – or incorporated into their strategy, I agree, it's a long shot. But I know that a lot of PR professionals would be telling them, go out there, take your lumps, and ultimately it will be better than the criticism you're going to get for hiding. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, I, I just, I don't think that that would even be entertained, which is a, more of an indictment, even more of an indictment on them than anything. I mean, like we, I, I just, I'm a broken record on here, on Twitter, everywhere about, and you, you know, wrote for the Friday notebook, something similar on John not talking. And I, I always say this, people think that we're complaining about not getting a headline or not getting a day of news. It's not about that. It's, we see how angry the fans are. We see how pissed off people are about the direction this thing's heading and how they feel like they're being lied to. And Red Sox fans, as most sports fans are, except Duke fans, are too smart to really, really have people pull the wool over their eyes and do these types of things, right? I mean, think about it. Would would it go over better if, let's say, they set a payroll target, they came out and said, hey, we're slashing payroll to this number, we're still trying to build a competitive team. If they came out and admitted that and did it, wouldn't fans be kind of more okay with it than – them saying yeah, I, full I think there would be initial frustration and outcry. Right. But if you at least made your case and publicly laid out your thinking, again, take your lumps at the beginning, but people give you the respect of at least addressing them and exp- and pulling back the curtain um, a little bit. Um, so I, I'm not sure, um, you know, w- what we're going to uh, find out from there. But it's it's just something that, um, you know, they need to do for accountability purposes. And the, the other thing to take into account, Chris, is that a year ago, and this is true of every um, of every fan interaction um, when it comes to these sort of things every January, whether it's winter weekend or whatever they used to call it. These are not angry talk show callers. These are hardcore Red Sox fans who, in many cases, drive from greater Boston and eastern Massachusetts out the Mass Pike to Springfield and then pay money 
to have contact with these players. These are people that are rooting for you. This is not the fellowship of the miserable that Rick Pitino talked about. This is not people who love to stir the pot and get people all worked up. Um, it, 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 it is the hardcore Red Sox fan who buys tickets, who buys memorabilia, buys souvenirs, supports the team, not happy with how things are going, but still going to Fenway, still watching the games. And if those people are behaving and acting as though as they did a year ago, then it's even worse than you think for the Red Sox with the fan base in this region, because these people are are not sort of taking pot shots from the sideline. They're still invested in how the team is doing. They want them to win. They want them to be successful. And yet even these people are turning on. Yeah, I mean, these are the bring your 8x10 to Fenway to go meet Julian Tavares at Autograph Alley people, right? These are not your casuals. These are not your people who are you know, going to keep an eye on the Celtics and Bruins, and once they are out of it, uh, they turn to the Red Sox in the summer. As you said, you know, the winter weekend tickets are 100 bucks a head. I mean, these are not, you know, you're not just showing up down the road, as you mentioned. These are very, very pissed off people, and I think they saw that a year ago. Uh, there's going to be some sort of management kind of presser type of availability on Friday night. We're not ex- exactly sure what that's going to look like. Probably Breslow. Um, you know, maybe Sam Kennedy, who has, I think this is a point to make too. Sam Kennedy has gone in the last year, in my opinion, and talking to other people around Fenway, they agree uh, into the shadows a little bit. Uh, I mean, just not very present around Fenway Park last year compared to previous years. Seems like he has, you know, with the exception of our opening day and end of the year Fenway rundowns we did last year um, and hope to do again, Sam. Uh, the It just seems like he's taken a back seat with public comments, you know, the big events, the big press conferences, he's there, but a little bit less of him. And then, you know, I know this is something that got a little bit of play on on social media this week. Not a lot of breslow availability so far since he's taken over um and i think you know when it's and i've seen this from fans on twitter so it's again not just a media complaining session i think fans feel like they're in the dark more than they ever have been and that just plays into i think the ridiculousness of not doing this town hall event in the way they are well yeah and let's get back to sam kennedy for a minute he has taken up the mantle of being the primary and uh, and most important spokesperson for the organization. He has said that John Henry is not comfortable in these media availabilities. So as CEO and president, John Henry has effectively deputized Sam Kennedy to speak for the organization. Now, obviously, Breslow and Alex Cora speak all the time or do in theory during the season when big transactions, signings, trades happen. But in terms of someone representing the Red Sox, Sam Kennedy has taken up that job since John Henry has moved into the background more in terms of public availability and accessibility. And yet, as you point out, Chris, I don't believe Sam Kennedy has been quoted anywhere on the record or spoken in any media access since Craig Breslow was introduced, and that was better than two months ago. That seems strange to me as well. I mean, and that, you know, goes back to just the culture and the culture of um, fans are angry. So maybe, you know, 
this too shall pass. Maybe that's what they think. It's not going to pass if you have this roster going out there. One more thing on winter weekend I want to touch on. Um, you know, I think there's been some criticism out there about the list of players, and I wrote this as well. Uh, and when I took over your notebook for the week, I believe Rafael Devers is not there. I am not going to criticize a an individual player for not being there on a specific date. People have things, like I said, last year I had a bachelor party, one of my college roommates. It's an important weekend for me to be there as a media member. I'm not going to be there. These people have off-season commitments. I understand it completely. Yeah, and, and you yeah. know, there is the, the simple ge- geography here right, where right. Devers spends almost all of the off-season in his native Dominican Republic. That's a long flight to make to you know, show up for a few hours or a day and a half in Springfield. Maybe there's family commitments, as you say. We don't want to presume that there's anything behind his, his absence. Yes. I mean, and same, obviously, assuming Yoshida is in Japan, you're not going to get on a guy for not, of course, making that trip for two days, whatever. But in totality, if you look at the list, and the point I want to make, I want to give that caveat because I want to separate the, oh, we're going to take attendance here. Devers isn't here. This guy's in here. Jansen, Giolito, Yoshida, and Devers, four of the most important players on the team, not appearing at this. And I think it just speaks to the roster. If you look at the three categories on the Red Sox site of the people that you can meet if you're a Red Sox fan, you have the players category. There's 27 players headlining that list. Casas, Story, and Bayo. And, I mean, there's a lot of kind of backfill roster guys who will be available and nice of them to show up and they're on the team. You know, some other guys who will have roles, obviously, Pavetta, O'Neill, Winkowski, Whitlock, Schreiber, Bernardino, Martin, the whole bullpen will be there, Rafaela, Abreu, Grissom. Um, but not a lot of star power there, which speaks to the roster. I'm getting to my point. If you're a Red Sox fan and you are going uh, to Springfield to get autographs, to get pictures, it's not the current roster because the present isn't that exciting. But if you take a look toward the past, as always, as Red Sox fans do, you see Wade Boggs, Dennis Eckersley, Carlton Fisk, Fred Lynn, Pedro, David Ortiz, Jim Rice, Louis Tiant, Donnie Gomes, our good friend Lou Merloni, and Jared Saltalamacchia also on that list. And the prospect list, a new addition this year, the big three of Roman Anthony, Kyle Teal, and Marcelo Meyer, also Nick York on that list, Gonzalez, Perales, Nathan Hickey, some of these guys. Like, if you have a chance to get four autographs at this thing like you're going to maybe say oh let's do casas and and maybe story but i want i want to go to the prospects and the alums let's put it this way because it i think sort of simply explains the strategy here they're not they're selling red sox past and red sox future red sox present not so much yeah and that's you know I think less of an indictment on the, you know, selling or the strategy here and more of just the reality of the past is brighter than this year and the future is brighter than this year. And it's tough, especially when you see kind of the list uh, and especially a list again, that the big names Devers, Yoshida, Giolito, Jansen are going to be very important to this team as is Cutter Crawford, who's not going to be there. Like, it's just, it's an uninspiring list, meaning it's an uninspiring roster. And the fact that we're sitting here on January 16th after that full throttle promise uh, is is still a bit inexplicable. And on Friday night, we will not be getting any sort of explanation. 
No, I don't think so. Um, and th there'll be no uh, overarching comments about the direction of the franchise or any, you know, we feel we're heading in the right direction. We understand that fans are frustrated with two straight last place finishes, but we sense that we're building for the future and there's a core here that we're excited to build around. All of that is going to be left for others to discern because nobody is going to articulate that vision because there isn't anybody there uh, that that is capable of doing that, frankly. And I don't mean it's a difficult thing to do, but you hear that kind of talk from upper management and ownership, and they are going to be AWOL this weekend, at least in terms of public comments and access. Yeah, I'm not, again, sure as we tape this on Tuesday morning, early afternoon, exactly who we're going to get. There will be some sort of availability on Friday night. I think Jen McCaffrey had the report that Warner will be there. Henry is uh, TBD, obviously Breslow, Cora, and those people will be in attendance. And again, we'll have that all covered on the site uh, both days of winter weekend. So I feel like that's a very, very negative way to start the podcast, ripping on the Red Sox. They deserve it, and so I don't feel bad about it. So we'll turn to something much more exciting the extremely dormant free agent and trade market that has seemed to do absolutely nothing in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, last week we did the mailbag and talked about where the Red Sox could go and some of these names and you know, Teoscar off the board. I think we've made our, our feelings pretty clearly felt on that. The names that came off last week, I, it seemed like it didn't really move the needle for the Red Sox much. Stroman, I think we agreed was not a good fit here for a variety of reasons. <clears throat> I will say, I think the Yankees kind of got a bargain on that deal. You know, getting him for two years might turn out to be a good investment if he can, you know, not get into the normal spats he gets into and if everything's going to be okay there. Um, and Jordan Hicks was a guy the Red Sox at least kicked the tires on like they are with everybody. The Giants I, are... I wonder, I, I wonder, too, if like the Giants, the Red Sox had any vision of turning him into a starter. Right. Um, you know, that four-year, $44 million deal would have been a lot for a guy who's worked at the back end of the bullpen. Obviously, there are real top guys like Diaz, maybe Hader, who are going to be closer to $20 million a year. $11 million a year is a lot to me for Jordan Hicks, but because they're going to try to stretch him out and start him, uh, maybe that's a little that makes a little more sense. But you wonder whether the Red Sox considered that. I mean, certainly a team that is as... Uh, desperate for upgrades in the rotation should be trying to get creative and uh, you know, kudos to the giants for thinking about that. We'll see how it plays out and whether they're successful in making him into a starter, but at least there's some creativity being shown there. Hey, there, you know, maybe we're not going to pay 150 or 200 million for Blake Snell, but here's a guy that we think could be a very good starter. We're going to work with him, and we're going to get him on an AAV of $11 million a year. If you're a Red Sox fan, you want your team thinking like that. We don't know if they did. Yeah, well, I think they're thinking that way with still Whitlock and Hauk and Pavetta and Winkowski. And... Well, the problem is, is that while Hicks hasn't failed as a starter, those guys have, if not right. failed, then at least struggled or been un unable to uh, achieve any sort of consistency. So there's a reason to be pessimistic about how well that experiment might yep. last totally uh, for another year. Um, so as we sit here, the starting pitching market is bare, you know, Paxton, 
I mean, we both think that barring a miracle or a change of heart, Montgomery and Snell are not going to come here. So you have that next group of Paxton, Lorenzen, Clevenger, um, you know, all those kind of depth type back end guys. I, I actually think they're probably going to end up with one of them, whether it be Lorenzen or Clevenger or Ryu, somebody like that on a one year deal to kind of just take that Paxton spot from a year ago. It's uninspiring, but it helps the team. Um, but no real updates really to that end. The other guy I wanted to touch on, uh, and I know you have thoughts here, is they've been linked to, in the wake of Teoscar coming off the board, Jorge Soler. Everybody knows how I feel. Everybody now just signed Adam Duvall for cheaper. He's going to be fine playing the same role. Maybe not as productive, but like for the price, it's worth it. He slots in, especially if he can play first. I say this literally in every podcast. You, we didn't think Teoscar was a fit. I'm from I'm gathering from the way we've talked about him uh like you feel like Soler is even less of a fit than Teoscar. Yeah, cuz he's a worse defender. Uh he is a glorified DH for an organization that is on record as not wanting to have an everyday DH. So that means if he comes here, they're envisioning him playing the outfield at least some. He's not a good outfielder. He may be a good fit offensively for Fenway a righty pull hitter with some power. Uh, We've seen some of the damage he's been able to do here as a visiting player. That's fine. But this is one move or one area where I salute the Red Sox for digging in here. People are like, well, he wants three years. Why won't the Red Sox? No, hold the line on guys like Jorge Soler. Tell him two years, and that's all we need from someone when you look at the outfield depth that is developing in the minor league system. The fact that Roman Anthony's going to be here a year from now, to me, the last thing you want to do is to be, is to have that payroll bogged down by guys on multi-year deals who are aging and limited. If you want to do a short-term deal with him, one in an option, one in a vesting, two years with an opt-out, however you want to uh, structure it, don't get yourself committed and start blocking guys who should be in the major leagues because you felt desperate to get a win and get a free agent signed when fans were clamoring for some move any move there are times when that prudence comes into you know it, it is the right way to go and I, I I think they should hold the line here two years maximum for a guy like Solaire well does that suggest that you would have been okay with Tay Oscar for one year and twenty three and a half million with deferrals, or is that too too steep for that one year situation? I, I think that's a lot. I mean, that's more than the qualifying offer, right? Yeah. And as we remember, Tay Oscar was not given a qualifying offer by his original team, Seattle, last winter, uh, and yet the Dodgers paid about three million more than the qualifying offer to get him on a one-year deal. Now, obviously, the Dodgers are playing and paying at a different level than every other team in the league. They are in for a dime, in for a billion this offseason. They're doing everything they can to win their first full-season World Series since 1988. We salute that kind of aggressiveness. But to me, you can't start measuring your moves about against what the Dodgers do because they're in a separate class. Yeah, I mean, I just – I guess the point, you know – to avoid that log jam and a longer term deal. We were talking about four for 80 for Tay Oscar at the beginning. Like 
that one for 23, one for 20, whatever it would have yeah, been. It, it's an overpay, but it's one year. It's more, and if it's you're more the palatable. Dodgers, it's not, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. There was, um, I think a Heyman report linking a lot of old friends to the Red Sox last week. I don't think any of those are going to happen. Justin Turner, I think we both think is gone as good as gone. JD Martinez as well. Seems like those guys obviously have the same market. You know, the Diamondbacks will probably get one. The Blue Jays are involved there. The Mets. Um, and then there was the note from John that maybe they consider a reunion with old friend Kike Hernandez, which I think um, that did not get aggregated. You good on with that? Left. No. I don't think that that would be happening here. Um, so in terms of a right-handed bat, when I look at it, Solaire, Duvall, like they need somebody who can play more in the field, as you mentioned. And <laughs> I don't know how to say this any other way, but all signs keep pointing back toward Duvall. Uh, again, this is, you know, I think as slow as it's been throughout the offseason, I feel like the rumors have come to a crawl. Do you have any prediction, gut sense, anything like that about us getting some clarity or some moves here in the next couple of weeks? Or do you feel like this is going mean, to be I, one of those? I, I still think there'll be two additions. I think one will come from that, you know, sort of Clevenger category, uh, Lorenzen, you know, a four or five guy to uh, fill in a spot in the rotation toward the back end. And I think there will be a trade of some sort involving a pretty good prospect, though maybe not one in the top three, uh, and maybe a young outfielder here to get themselves a middle-of-the-rotation solution with some control. Who that is, is your guess is as good as mine. But I would think before we get to the end of January, they'll have two starting pitchers in-house, one a you know, a lower tier free agent and the other, a younger guy with some control acquired in a trade. Whoever the big move is, bring him out Friday night, winter weekend at Springfield, different, much different reaction. That would be, that's the first Fenway rundown of the week. Again, busy week for us at mass live, the rookie development program ongoing. We'll have a lot of content from that tomorrow, Wednesday, as they do an availability at Fenway. And then the winter weekend event Friday and Saturday in Springfield, you know the site, you know the pod, and you know for the last time here, the Insider Text Program. How do they get onto that? Very simple. All you need to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. Click on the link to subscribe. That comes to the 14-day trial period. After that, it's $4.99 a month. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.